Those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But before you can truly learn from the tales of our past, you must first understand them. And you're in luck because you found the one and only show that dives deep into the historical figures of our past and how key events have shaped the world that we live in today. You're tuned to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. Right here on WRFH, Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. With your host of today's show, Connor Bolanos. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. But this week, we're going to be do, doing something a little bit different. Normally, we talk about an individual from our, from our historical past, go through their lives, analyze their reign. But today, we're going to be trying to, in essence, summarize the rise and fall of a country, in this case, Sweden. Sweden is a very interesting case study, I think, of a great power. Because Sweden basically rose and fell from its great power status within a century and in doing so kind of defined for us what makes a great power a great power and what makes a weak great power and really what can lead to the decline and collapse of nations and their influence in the 18th century in particular and I think especially given that last week we talked about Charles XII the last king of the Swedish Empire, the last king of Sweden during the time as a great power, and it was his death that ushered in the end of Sweden as a great power. So I think it's really fitting to talk about this. So we're going to be doing this format a bit differently. I'm going to be proposing three reasons that, through my research, I believe are the main causes for Sweden's decline as a great power within the 18th century. But first, let's let's give a bit of context as to how Sweden rose as a great power. In, during the Thirty Years' War, which occurred in the earlier half of the 17th century and ended in 1648, during the last eight years in, in 1640, Sweden, in defense of the Protestant faction, invaded Germany and it declared war upon the Catholic faction in the Thirty Years' War. Now, for all of you who didn't know, in, in brief context without getting too into it, the Thirty Years' War was pretty much the result of religious tensions within the Holy Roman Empire and the Protestants not being given enough equal treatment and rights to their to the Catholics within the nation who were seen as the superior faith within the Holy Roman Empire and were given preference. So there, this was really a war, a religious war, between the two factions as a result of all those years of build-up attention. Of course, that's a very um, basic summary of it, but it's enough to really understand why Sweden got involved. And Sweden was a Protestant country. So Sweden, under Gustavus Adolphus, as we mentioned in a previous episode, had greatly reformed the Swedish military, and in doing so, made it superior to many of the militaries within Europe. Not only because of its quality, but be because of his own and his general's superior tactical abilities compared to their uh, German counterparts and the other Catholic forces in the Thirty Years' War. So as a result of Gustavus Adolphus' involvement in Sweden's victories in the Thirty Years' War, even though eventually they were pushed back after the death of Gustavus Adolphus, they were able to secure a seat at the table and also annex numerous territories within um, northern Germany, most specifically Swedish Pomerania, the town of Wismar, the Bishoporic of Bremen Verden, and during the Treaty of Bromsbro and the Scanian War, they were able to annex more lands from Denmark, and in earlier conquests, Sweden had taken many of the lands in the Baltic coast, like Courland, Estonia, Latvia, um, Karelia, 
And these territories as a whole comprised of what came to be known as the Swedish Empire. And these made Sweden, this made Sweden the third largest country in Europe by land size, behind only Russia and Spain. But it also came with great economic and diplomatic influence as a result of the, these new territorial acquisitions. Because Sweden took territories in northern Germany, they were granted a vote in the imperial deed of the Holy Roman Empire. But And also these territories gave control to Sweden of three of the most important trading and navigable rivers in northern Germany, which gave them the ability to ha place toll collection rights on those, which was a great source of revenue for the Swedish Empire. So because of this new diplomatic influence, this new economic influence, and the fact that Sweden had displayed great military superiority over many of their counterparts, Sweden rose to the status of being a great power in the European field. But it was a very weak place as a great power because the because Sweden was diplomatically isolated, had a weak economy, and its military image would not last forever. And these are the three reasons that I propose that Sweden rose to be a great power in the 18th century, but also eventually saw decline. And why, really, the only pillar of Swedish uh, status as a great power was their military prowess, which was eroded during the Great Northern War, which resulted in the end of the Swedish time as a great power. So getting into first weakness, their economic weaknesses, I'm going to first turn towards their population statistics of Sweden in comparison to neighboring countries and whatnot in the 18th century. So in 1718, it was believed the population of Sweden was roughly around 1.4 million individuals. Meanwhile, its neighbors such as Denmark had a population of roughly the same amount of 1.4 million, but Russia had a population of roughly 20 million, and the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth had about that. Now, why population is important in regards to the 18th century is, one, it determines how large of an army you can field, as if there's more people, there's more production, more taxes, and overall more troops that you can conscript and use for combat. So that, in the case of long-lasting long wars, having additional manpower and reserves that you can pull from is very important. But secondly... The economic activity of the 18th century was largely driven by primary sector activities, meaning forestry, mining, and agriculture. And for these types of work, you need large labor pools to really produce and utilize all of the land. This is why nations such as Russia and China both were some of the largest producers of goods in the world at the time. You could say it's such large populations and they were able to utilize their land more effectively. By contrast, Sweden really didn't have that. Uh, John Williams, a British um, individual who was traveling through Sweden, noted in an account that he wrote that the greatest part, that quote, the greatest part of the kingdom is uncultivated and full of rocks and woods, and in many parts almost destitute of inhabitants, end quote, with a population, quote, not sufficient to cultivate the earth, end quote. So Sweden was barely occupied their population density was very low and as a result they weren't really able well their population per square mile was very low which meant that sweden wasn't really able to effectively utilize a lot of their territory for agricultural production compared to their enemies there wasn't really enough of a labor force to partake in these primary sector activities and for agriculture this is particularly important i'm going to get into a little bit about Swedish iron industries and how that was affected by the Great Northern War and how that led to Sweden's decline. But agriculture is important because, you know, you need food to live. You need food to feed armies. And given that Sweden couldn't produce a lot of food given its low population and its focus on mining over farming, Sweden became dependent upon 
its neighbors for grain, but also some of its dominions, which it had conquered, such as those in the Baltic state in northern Germany. But these were problematic as these territories would eventually be lost during the course of the Great Northern War to Sweden's enemies. But further on the point of why its agriculture was unproductive, Sweden just also had unfertile soil. John Williams also noted that he had, quote, traveled near 700 English miles in this kingdom, and except in the province of Scania and some parts of Finland, I did not see 20 acres of good land lying together. The foil in those places where it is capable of being cultivated is tolerably fruitful. So not only did Sweden not have enough of a population and labor force to use all of its land, a lot of its land just wasn't usable to begin with. So even if it had a larger population, it, its ability to produce agricultural goods would have been limited. For anyone just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. The show where we dive deep into the historical figures of our past to better understand our present. So given the poor soil type and given the low labor force and the fact that Sweden focused more on mining and forestry than agriculture, Sweden had to import a lot of its grain from its neighbors, who were also its enemies. And because Sweden became dependent on states such as Russia, Poland, and Denmark for grain and vital agricultural foodstuff, they couldn't really afford to go to war with these nations. Because to do so would put Sweden in a place where they would see mass famine and starvation and overall public unrest. So Sweden didn't really have the diplomatic ability to do that, given these limitations. And these were made even more apparent when in the Treaty of Nystad, following the Great Northern War, Sweden lost the dominions on the Baltic coast and in northern Germany as well, which resulted in Sweden, the only territories of Sweden that really produced agricultural goods to be lost, resulting in a greater dependence upon its neighbors for agricultural foodstuff. And because it was dependent, it declined as a great power in the sense that they weren't self-sufficient. Because self-sufficiency is incredibly important for the same reason today that a lot of people in the United States say that we need to be self-sufficient in oil so we're not dependent upon other countries. Sweden tried to do the same with grain so they didn't have to rely upon them for such a vital resource in the 18th century, but they failed to do such and as a result became diplomatically uh, limited in their ability to wage war and influence their neighbors, but they also became subservient to their neighbors, which is who weren't even great powers, which really weakened Sweden's claim to be a great power. Now, as I previously have mentioned, Sweden focused more on mining and forestry than it actually did agriculture, which for Sweden makes sense, given that they had very low uh, fertile land for agriculture. As a result, they largely turned to mining and forestry, of which there were vast forests and great mineral fields across Sweden. And most importantly of these exports was iron, which made up roughly three-fourths of the Swedish exports across Europe. And Swedish iron was well known across Europe as being some of the highest quality iron. And as such, it was something that was really exported and that Sweden generated a lot of revenue off of. But as Sweden became increasingly isolated and surrounded by enemies diplomatically, Sweden also saw a decrease in trade and its ability to trade this important export to its former partners, which really deprived it a lot of revenue. For example, let's look at a comparison of British exports and imports from and to Sweden in 1741. In 1741, Britain imported 192,586 pounds worth of Swedish goods and exported to Sweden only roughly 22,161 pounds. Now, a majority of this 192,000 pounds was Swedish iron and wood products, which was used in the forging of weapons and ships and cannons and all these other important goods. And 
this really showed as well that Sweden was in large part an export-based economy. And the issue with an export-based economy in the 18th century, and really in general, is that if you end up in a war with your with enemies and with just nation states, export-based economies tend to suffer because they're no longer exporting those goods to their former major trade partners. And for the case of Sweden, these major trade partners were large part its neighbors, Denmark, Poland, Russia, but also Britain, as I just mentioned. But Sweden found itself at war with every single one of these states. And Britain even went so far as to outright ban trade with Sweden in an act of parliament that was passed. So really, Sweden saw a huge decline in its revenues, which really put a lot of strain on mine owners, manufacturers, and all these other types of producers and business owners within the Kingdom of Sweden in, to close down during the Great Northern War because they just weren't making any money, which resulted ultimately in the Swedish government subsidizing um, these businesses to keep them afloat, which didn't help Swedish revenues, which at the time were roughly a one million pound deficit, which for the time period is a lot of money, and they weren't able to really overcome that, even with subsidies from the Kingdom of France, who was really their only ally during the time period. Now, trade as a whole was also hampered, so even if Sweden still had the ability to trade with Britain, let's say, they were geographically pre predisposed to be in a weak trading position in the event of a war, because all of their enemies controlled the main avenues in and out of the Baltic Sea. The Baltic Sea is where Sweden did most of its trade. It's where it tr traded with its dominions in northern Germany and the Baltic coast, but it's also from where it shipped iron to nations such as Britain, France, Western Europe, and all across the continent, really, as a whole. But the only ways to get out of there are really the Sound and the Katagats, which were under the control of Russia, Poland, and Denmark. And when Sweden found itself enemies of these countries and at war with these countries, these avenues of trade were effectively shut down, further preventing Sweden from, even if it wanted to, and made peace with Britain, trading with those nations and exporting its iron. And furthermore, if Sweden wanted to try and export uh, its goods during this time of war, it could, if it went through the United Provinces, uh, the, the United Provinces being the Netherlands nowadays. But the Netherlands knew of this, and they took advantage of it, raising the pricing on on freight by roughly 50%, really caused issue with Swedish exports. But not only that, you know, as, if you couldn't tell, there's a lot of issues that Sweden had in trading and why it saw a great decline in its overall revenues. It saw a decrease in its sailing ships from 775 to 209 in its merchant marine. So not only was Sweden uh, surrounded by enemies and blocked off from leaving the Baltic coast for trade, not only were their major trade partners now at war with Sweden, but their ability to ship was halted by their weakened merchant marine and rising costs of shipping. And all of these, including uh, Sweden's lack of population and labor force and weak agricultural production as a whole, led to a decrease in all economic sectors across the kingdom of Sweden and really saw a great decrease in trade revenues, which really plunged Sweden into a time of famine, poverty, economic depression, which really eroded one of the major pillars of its status as a great power, especially as nation as its neighbors, like Russia, ascended to the status of great power on the fact that they were economically growing and economically powerful. So because Sweden failed to demonstrate its economic strength and Sweden declined in its economic strength in comparison to its neighbors, Sweden really, in large part from the economic standpoint, lost its status as a great power. If you're not reading and learning history, then you're doomed to repeat it. For all of you just tuning in, you're listening to History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos. 
Now, as I mentioned earlier, Sweden also found itself diplomatically isolated, and I kind of alluded so far to who Sweden's enemies were, mainly Denmark, Poland, and Russia. And this really lowered Sweden's ability to exert any diplomatic influence. One of the key things about being a great power in Europe is that you can influence other countries, right? And Sweden demonstrated this largely in the fact that it could vote in the imperial diet, and it was a leader of Protestantism, a position which really gave it great political influence in northern Germany. But outside of northern Germany, Sweden found itself limited and isolated. Its only dependable ally was really France, but France didn't help Sweden during times of crisis, during the Great Northern War, the first and the second. France didn't send men and troops to Sweden. They didn't send supplies and guns to Sweden to aid them out. They just sat there. And while they diplomatically supported Sweden in their endeavors and subsidized them with money, it wasn't enough to really overcome Swedish deficits that resulted from the war. So Sweden found itself in large part without any useful allies and surrounded by enemies who were all larger than Sweden and growing more economically powerful than Sweden was. And as a result of this, as I mentioned earlier, Sweden became dependent upon its neighbors for goods, such as grain, which was a, which is a very big detail. Because I mentioned earlier, from a diplomatic standpoint, Sweden can't declare war on nations that it's dependent on unless it wants to suffer a famine. Nor could Sweden, following the Great Northern War, make any efforts to possibly retake the territories that had formerly lost. Because all these nations had come together to unite against Sweden. And it's likely that if Sweden ever tried to declare war again these nations would ultimately reunite against Sweden and take even more land from them. So Sweden ultimately in the 18th century, as a result of its expansionist policies, united its neighbors against their nation, and in doing so isolated themselves and allowed themselves to be overrun by superior numbers and greater economic strength in the Great Northern War, which would ultimately result in the end of Sweden's time as a great power from a diplomatic stance. Now, Sweden also was not only just a great power in the sense that it could exert some diplomatic influence or that, you know, it had a strong economy. Great powers are also largely built upon the status of having a great military, especially in the 18th century. And this was not, this was true for Sweden pretty much more than any other country because it was in the Thirty Years' War where Sweden founded its status as a great power on the backbone of the idea that its military supremacy was so great that it could defeat almost any army in Europe. And if any nation ever attempted to challenge Sweden, they would be defeated, humiliated, and they, Sweden would assert its dominance over them. But it was the collapse of this image of Swedish military superiority that I argue was the greatest reason that Sweden declined as a great power in the 18th century, mainly in the sense that a lot of nations really upped the ante, you could say, in military innovation, training, and quality after the Thirty Years' War. Many countries turned towards the Swedish model of, military, of, of an army. Uh, Peter the Great, for example, if you, if you know much about him, was a very big reformer. He sought to westernize Russia, not just culturally and economically, but also militarily. And one of the nations he went towards in order to base his new army off of was Sweden. So Sweden, when it went back to war... Uh, you know, after so long against Denmark, Poland, and Russia, suddenly found itself fighting armies that were very similar to its own. Now, Sweden was still in large part superior to these armies. Don't get me wrong. Sweden did not have its military superiority entirely annihilated. But it found itself winning battles by closer margins and suffering higher casualties than they ever had before. And battles Sweden thought were going to be easy 
relatively didn't turn out that way. Now, Sweden still was able to inflict great defeats upon its enemies. The Battle of Narva against Russia, where they were outnumbered 4-1, to one, proves that. But Sweden's army also had weaknesses, and because quality is not the only factor in a war. And one of them is, as I mentioned earlier, population and how much of an army you can field. Poland, Russia, and Denmark all fielded larger armies than Charles XII could. And as a result, even though Sweden was winning a lot of those early battles... The toll that it took upon the Swedish army was very high, and Sweden found itself drained of manpower and financial resources as it was cut off from trade, which prevented it from equipping and supplying its men, while Russia, Poland, and Denmark were still able to largely trade with their partners, and as such were able to field continuously larger and larger armies, while the ability of Sweden to field an army shrunk drastically each and every time. Now, Sweden did maintain the edge, though, however, in having a cunning leader, Charles XII, who brought great victories. But his defeat at the Battle of Polteva, but, and also his subsequent death at the Siege of Fredericksburg, ultimately led to the end of Sweden's time as a great power, as its military image of military superiority was all but shattered as it suffered a humiliating defeat in the Great Northern War, and the Treaty of Nystad stripped it of almost all of its Baltic territories, and in the following year, Sweden lost almost all of its territories in northern Germany. So all the gains that had made Sweden a great power in the Peace of Westphalia were all but practically lost. And I think ultimately, as a result of all the famine and whatnot, Sweden really emerged actually as a weaker power than it actually was in 1648. So ultimately, in summary, based off of the research and findings that I did, the main causes of Sweden's rot decline as a great power in the 18th century was the result of its weak economy compared to its neighbors' economies, its low population, which didn't allow them to field armies as large or supply armies as large as those their enemies could, and the shattering of their military image in the Great Northern War was the final nail in the coffin that ended the Swedish Empire and its status as a great power. So thank you all for joining me for another week of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery. And as I mentioned last time, we've set up an email. So send me any comments, questions, concerns to hsbam1844 at gmail.com. And we're going to try and turn these into a feature. But also let me know just comments. Do you like this kind of show format? I know it's a bit different than what we usually do. But a number of you seemed to enjoy the Ottoman Decline Thesis episode. So I thought maybe doing something more similar to that based on some uh, out, some more in-depth research that I've done, and my own proposal and viewpoint on why I think Sweden Decline may have been a bit interesting compared to me just going through the life of an individual. So let me know, and thank you for joining me, and I will see all of you next week. And that's all the time we have left today for you history buffs. There's many more historical figures from our past to discuss, so be sure to join us same time, same place, next week for a new edition of History Shouldn't Be a Mystery with your host, Connor Bolanos.